Welcome to OECD Podcasts, where policy meets people. As the world changes, it's important that we find ways to change along with it. This includes transitioning our procurement systems from analog to digital. Digitalization and procurement comes with a variety of opportunities, but also challenges. Can digital resources such as artificial intelligence, e-procurement, and data systems improve the ways governments obtain services and goods? I'm Robin Allison Davis, and you're listening to OECD Podcasts. This podcast is the third and final episode of a series in collaboration with the MAPS Initiative, Methodology for Assessing Procurement Systems. To help us understand the world of procurement digitalization, I'm speaking today with Edwin Lau, OECD Head of Division of Infrastructure and Public Procurement. Later in this podcast, we'll hear from Hunt Lakashka, Senior Public Sector Specialist at the World Bank. Thank you for joining me today, Edwin. Thank you, Robin, for having me. Why is it important to digitize procurement system? What are the advantages? So digitization is necessary both because it's good stewardship of public resources. We can eliminate a huge number of manual transactions. So not only does that improve efficiency, but it also reduces errors. And so we want to be able to make sure that we are kind of squeezing out both human error as well as opportunities for misuse of funds or other types of corruption or or conflict of interest. So I think that the COVID crisis really helped us to think about how procurement systems need to be more agile and responsive to fast-changing needs. When we began to think about PPE and other medical supplies that were needed on a very urgent basis, we realized that ad hoc solutions weren't going to be sufficient. So being able to use data analytics and artificial intelligence to better understand where the demand is coming from so we can have better predictors that allow us to kind of smooth out the supply or be able to identify alternative supply chains is going to be critical for governments to be able to respond to an increasingly uncertain environment. So you would say the main advantage of digitizing procurement systems is the agility and speed and efficiency. Also the foresight. I think that before, you know, we're buying pencils and erasers and desks, and now we're buying services, we're buying extremely complex things that can no longer be simply described in a template. So to be able to master that level of complexity requires the digitalization of our procedures. So as an example, in New South Wales in Australia, they've developed a tool that automatically categorizes procurement uh, transactions, replacing a manual categorization of 2 million transactions by quarter. So you can see that beyond the efficiency element of no longer having to manually treat that, the data analytics gives you insights into where the patterns are in terms of the consumption or the purchasing of new products. And does that lead to perhaps more transparency as well? Definitely. Well, I think that the information will be there for governments to make available. Then, of course, the decision is for governments to commit to open data for their citizens and for their businesses. I think that's an extremely important step. It doesn't come automatically, but uh, if there is a political commitment to making that data available, in fact, what we can see are whole new services that can be built around open government data. Do you have any best practices for governments digitizing their procurement? 
So I think the first step is to recognize that rather than just thinking about a single procurement actor, that we actually have ecosystems of actors that are working together in order to deliver procurement services. So just to give you an example, in some cases, procurement is run by sectoral boards. So for example, there may be health procurement systems that are working with a central procurement system. So in order for those systems to work, especially as we digitalize the processes, they have to be able to work together with common data standards and also with a common understanding of the procurement procedures. One of the projects that we're working on right now is with the Portuguese Court of Audit that is looking for how to improve the red flags of potential conflict of interest or corruption opportunities in the Portuguese system. So in order to do that, the data is generated by the procurement authorities, but also by these individual procurement platforms, as I was mentioning earlier. But it also needs to be understood and interpreted by the Court of Audit. So you can see that there are actors that do not have a direct responsibility for delivery of procurement, but that also have to be engaged as part of the overall process. You mentioned working together. Are countries actually sharing their experiences? So that is exactly the meat of what the OECD does, because we have a working party of leading practitioners of public procurement. And that group meets on an annual basis in order to share the best practice of procurement systems across OECD countries. In addition, we also have many expert group meetings and, and now many webinars, which allow more technical exchange of experience to take place. So in just one month's time, we're going to have a digital forum in which the day before the LPP, the Leading Practitioners of Public Procurement Working Party, we're going to be talking about these challenges that are confronting the procurement community and how to best digitalize and what other stakeholders to engage as part of that process. Can you explain a bit more about the LPP meeting that you just mentioned? I know you also have the OECD Public Procurement Week coming up as well. Sure thing, Robin. So LPP, the Leading Practitioners of Public Procurement, they meet once a year to exchange experiences on public procurement from all 38 member countries of the OECD. But it's important also that they are talking with other stakeholders, such as suppliers and digital companies. So we are holding a one-day digital forum in which we talk about the challenges of digitalization of e-procurement. And so this is going to give us an opportunity for all of the stakeholders and actors in digitalization to be able to share sort of cutting edge practices as well as some of the challenges that they're facing in their country context. And is this open to all? This is open to everyone and we hope to have a good showing in one month's time at the OECD Procurement Week. Do you have any examples of countries doing a great job of digital procurement? So the CONEPS system, which is in Korea, and that's a system that has been in existence since 2002. And what's very interesting about the system is that it's fully integrated and e-procurement. So it's looking at every step of the procurement cycle, including making all of the related documents available online, allowing uh, links for a one-stop shop, automated collection of data of bidder qualifications. So this, I think, is an example of how digitalization can make life simpler for suppliers. But you can never rest on your laurels. So the Korean government is actually doing a CONEPS 2.0, which they plan to unveil next year, where they're going to increase the number of procurement services that are included under the CONEPS, as well as to even go further in terms of integrating the system. Just to give one other example, Ireland is one of the early adopters of e-procurement. So going all the way back to 2001, they launched their e-tenders national platform, which allowed the tendering of public procurement bids 
kids online. And they are also now beginning to think about how do we benefit beyond the kind of efficiency effects of digitalization to really think about how to reform and process. The OECD, World Bank, EBRD, and European Commission, in collaboration with the MAP Secretariat, created a module on e-procurement. Can you tell me what e-procurement is and a bit more about the module? Sure thing, Robin. So e-procurement is about the digitization of procurement processes all across the procurement cycle. The e-procurement module of the MAPS allows countries to look at a holistic view of e-procurement, that is, whether or not the regulatory, institutional, and operational arrangements are in place that enables e-procurement to develop and to thrive. What do you think is the future for digital procurement? What do you see as the next steps? Well, you know, Robin, procurement itself makes up 13% of uh, uh, GMP uh, around the world. So it's, it's a, a massive amount of government spending. And so governments are now realizing that if they do that spending, not just more efficiently, but more strategically as well, that they can really help to support uh, uh, strategic objectives of governments, such as improving gender equality or supporting uh, the green transition. So that makes it even more important that we have these digital tools to be able to ensure that public procurement is done in a smart, agile, and strategic fashion. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for an enlightening conversation. It's been fun. Thank you very much, Robin. Hunt Lakashka, Senior Public Sector Specialist from the World Bank, spoke to us about the many challenges a government can face when moving to digital procurement systems. So we've spoken about the advantages of digitizing procurement, but what are the challenges? I imagine, especially with you at the World Bank, you're working with governments of different sizes and budgets and levels of resources. What are some of the challenges? Well, there's a lot of challenges and it's a great question. And I'll kind of start from the beginning. One of them is many times when you start out, you got to do an e-procurement readiness assessment and you have to figure out, you know, is the country ready for e-procurement? Do they have the internet bandwidth? Do they have electricity? Do they have a capacity uh, within their public procurement authority or agency and within the public procuring entities? Is the legislation allow for electronic procurement? There's a very large assessment that goes on in the beginning. Then there's a strategy that's put together. Another challenge that they have is identifying the functional and technical requirements that meet the country's needs that meets the legislative framework associated with public procurement and the needs of the procurement regulations and policies and procedures. And that can be very challenging for countries that don't have capacity to articulate. So lots of times at the bank, you know, we come in and we might bring international consultants to come in to help. Next, they're procuring agencies, so they're pretty good at tendering and evaluation. But next comes the implementation. And depending on the, the, the implementation, there's different types of implementations. You can do a custom version of an e-procurement system, or you can do a, a commercially off-the-shelf uh, solution with some customizations, or you can do what's what's new, which is considered a software as a service solution, where you basically purchase a subscription to an e-procurement system. Countries do get, especially if they don't have capacity or they don't have a lot of IT experience, they can get bogged up in the implementation of a custom solution or a commercially off the shelf, a COTS 
solution with lots of customizations. And that I've seen can really take a long time and be quite expensive. Policies are always changing, legislation's changing, so you have to kind of make sure you are able to identify those changes and make sure the procurement system meets those. That's a challenge. Now, once you get an e-procurement system up and running, there's some massive challenges. And this is where we're really seeing, especially in regions that don't have a lot of capacity, is that when folks in procuring entities have been doing paper-based procurements their entire lives, it's very challenging for them to move to a digitized procurement process. And they need support. And lots of times, um, I think it's a twofold thing. I think lots of times when the World Bank provides support, we're so focused on the e-procurement system itself, and we forget that we need to have funding set aside for change management. And it needs to be a significant amount of funding for the training, the adoption, the rollout. And I think that is one of the big blockers that we see. And we've seen it all throughout various regions in the world. And that is something to be recognized is the change management process when an EG per system goes live to get it to be used. You know, you hope that the country does mandate it in the legislation or through a directive, but many times they don't. And then there's no incentives for the procuring entities themselves to actually use it. Well, I'm glad you brought up training uh, because that was actually my next question. I know the World Bank works a lot with training and best practices for these various countries and their digitizing procurement. Can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. Usually during the preparation of an EGP system, we'll provide funds for representatives from the public procurement agencies themselves to do work study tours. So they'll go to, for example, we have colleagues from Liberia or representatives from the government of Liberia. We'll go to Rwanda, which has a very successful e-procurement system, or they'll go to one of the states in Nigeria and vice versa. So the idea is that they go they talk with the government officials, they see the system, they have a demo, they chat about what the blockers might be, what the challenges might be, they talk about the cost. So that's one type of capacity building or training. It's informal. We also at the bank ourselves, you know, whenever we do a, a workshop, I always try to bring in not only just the e-procurement stuff, but you know, what is the future going to bring once you got e-procurement up and running? You know, oh, look, you have a bunch of procurement data in a machine-readable format. You can start to do some analytics on that. And we call that PDA, procurement data analytics. So we just kind of let them know what you can do. Additionally, another big item is sustainable public procurement, and that also can be supported by e-procurement systems and there's emergency procurement. So there's a lot of kind of workshops that we do. And then there are, for the trainings, when you actually have the e-procurement system as it's being implemented, once you've prepared it, you've tendered, you've signed a contract and you're starting the implementation, usually within the implementation, there will be training for how to use that specific e-procurement system. Well, that's great. Let's switch gears a bit to talk about the disruptive technologies. You wrote a blog about disruptive technologies that can improve procurement systems. Can you explain a bit about what they are and how they work? Sure. Now, I think there are nine disruptive technologies. Some of them aren't terribly significant, but the real game changers when it comes to disruptive technologies is cloud, 
AI, big data, and blockchain had a heyday for a while there. I want to talk about cloud for a moment. You know, cloud in OECD countries is not considered a disruptor, right? In America and Canada and France and things like that. But in Liberia and in Laos and in St. Lucia, it's a massive disruptor, right? It provides the ability for a country kind of leapfrog from having to build its own server room and purchase all of the IT equipment and network equipment and hook it up to the internet connection and having to have software developers developing everything to be able to use a cloud solutions, whether it's a platform infrastructure or software as a service. And that can really get countries up and running much more quickly and much more cost effectively. And that's important. So we do consider cloud to be a disruptive technology for World Bank clients. And what about AI? How does that factor in? Additionally, AI has really been taking off. We did a very interesting pilot project in India where for one of the very exhaustive exercises that we do at the World Bank and, and also public procurement agencies do themselves is post reviews, okay? Not prior reviews. Prior reviews is high value, high risk, but post reviews are for procurements that are low value, low risk. And usually what you do is you do a review of just maybe five or 10% of those transactions to see whether or not they're using the proper procurement processes and methods and things like that. And it's always been a very exhaustive process for the procurement practitioner. But one of the things we did is take a look at the ability to use AI. And how did we use it? One is we had to identify, you know, which documents we need to look at, right? So we went and we looked at the various documents. We were able to scan the documents using RPA, robotics processes automation, and pull out the interesting information and put it into a much more digestible format so that it could be much more easily processed by a procurement practitioner. And additionally, it could look at the procurement transactions and identify what would be the most advantageous that was a very interesting example of disruptive technologies. You mentioned data being another disruptive technology. What are opportunities or issues there? The other is big data. There's so much procurement data out there. One issue is getting the data. And that's why we work very closely with the Open Contracting Partnership. And they provide a data standard called the Open Contracting Data Standard that when the World Bank funds, not only the World Bank, but other MDBs like the African Development Bank or the Asian Development Bank, when we fund an EGP project, we ensure that they publish their data using the OCDS Open Contracting Data Standard so that data can be accessible. Now, there's a lot of data out there, if you can imagine all the procurement transactions uh, in all the countries throughout the world. So big data analytics is important. And we I like to call it big relational data analytics because this data does have what we would call metadata associated with it. So you do know the data that you're looking at and you know the metadata associated with it so that it can be processed pretty well. 
And we're going to be seeing a bit of a revolution when it comes to big data in procurement moving forward. If you look at the World Bank has put together a website called the ProAct, it's procurementintegrity.org, and it provides the ability through the collection of all this transactional public procurement data to look at through a transparency lens, countries, procuring entities themselves, and vendors to get an idea of various transparency indicators on how they rate. Additionally, there's country information on this transparency, on this uh, public procurement data that's very useful. And while we're uh, talking about data, I'll also mention the Global Public Procurement Database, which is a database that the World Bank created and supports, which provides macro information about public procurement. That all sounds very interesting. It seems like it's going to be able to not only just improve the procurement systems, but perhaps maybe speed them up a little, provide more transparency as well. Exactly. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Hunt. My pleasure, Robert. Thanks for having me. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. To learn more about MAPS and procurement systems, go to mapsinitiative.org. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com OECD.